Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. All right. Good morning, everybody. Morning, morning. Well, we are off on the last message of this series, and uh, we've been preaching on awe, just learning how uh, God transforms us through a fear of the Lord. A healthy fear of the Lord is an essential ingredient in a follower of Jesus, and uh, God's in this season, I believe, imparting not just to our church, but to the big C church Really, this spirit, this, this mind of having a fear of the Lord. Uh, we started off this series by looking at a story of a pastor who had uh, made some really bad ethical decisions and he lands himself in prison. And uh, a pastor, he gets invited to go interview him. And uh, he's just curious of like how this guy got in such a bad situation. First, he says, hey, I'm here because of the mercy of God, not the judgment of God. And then he said, man, I loved Jesus the whole time, but I didn't fear him. And that was the story that kind of catalyzed this whole kind of series that we don't want to be found people, uh, people that love him but don't fear him. And we looked at this uh, Psalm, Psalm 25, 14, that says, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. There's an intimacy, there's a friendship we'll get into today that God wants to draw you into, not just being a servant of the Lord, but to be a friend of Him. God's holy, He's king, and He's judge. We looked at 2 Corinthians 5, for we must all appear and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of Christ. It's possessing this conviction that out of that holy fear that you and I wouldn't do anything that would break his heart, that would dishonor him, that would, that would, that would dis, uh, bring un, disglory to him. That's not even a word. This holy fear of the Lord, like I said, is an essential ingredient. His marvelous, unconditional love is found right at the set, in the center of his pure, unadulterated holiness. And that if you want to experience God's love, part of that equation is that you at the same time, if it's God's true love, that you experience His holiness. That these two things actually are partners together, God's holiness and God's love. Last week, Brett spoke on the fear of the Lord versus the fear of man. Just an excellent message that these two things are opposing forces, that If you feed the fear of man, the fear of the Lord decreases. If you feed the fear of the Lord, the fear of man decreases. The men who fear God can face life fearlessly. But the men who don't, or women who don't fear God, end up fearing everything and anything, especially death, wanting to avoid it. And we're almost trained to be caught up in this image management culture of our lives, how others think about us. But it's just discipling us into the fear of man. But if you and I get captured by this healthy fear of God, that we get to live to please 
only one that you have to have uh, a relationship with and that he's the one that ultimately judges us. It liberates us from the fear of man, the fear of rejection, the fear of opinions. Because you know in the depths, you know in the depths of your being that you are doing and saying what God wants you to do and say. And that's why Jesus had to train and equip his disciples for three years. This just doesn't come automatic. Learning how to live with the fear of the Lord. But there's another kind of teeter-totter. The fear of the man, fear of man, fear of the Lord. There's another little relationship that those who don't have the fear of the Lord usually end up being high on the pride side. That pride and the fear of the Lord also have a corresponding relationship. Pride, the fear of God. Ephraim the Syrian, he's a 4th century Christian writer, said this, The fear of God illuminates the soul, annihilates evil, weakens the passions, drives darkness from the soul and makes it pure. The fear of God is the summit of wisdom. Where it is not, you will find nothing good. Whoever does not have the fear of God is open to diabolical falls. Diabolical falls. Man, not just stumbling through life, but diabolical falls. And I think we've seen that in our world. Our most ancient transgression is pride. That somehow, someway, humanity can become like God. The pride to think that the creation can become on par with a holy creator. It's laughable. When men no longer fear God, we transgress His will and His ways without hesitation. Because our pride is our idol. Isaiah 65, this this is the condition of humanity. Isaiah 65, 2, God says this, All day long I opened my arms to a rebellious people, but they follow their own evil paths. Man, God's the one being faithful. God's constantly the one reaching out to say, return to me, return to me. How about Proverbs 16? It says there's a path before each person that seems right. But in the end, it leads to death. It's those plans of pride. It's those kind of glorified, beautified plans of pride of what you and your life and what your success is going to do or what your name is going to do or your fame is going to create. C.S. Lewis said this, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Deceitfulness, greed, anger, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride. Pride makes you think you have to be better than everyone else. Pride's never satisfied. It's always wanting more. That desire in your heart of, I want more, I want more, I want more, you'd question that, that the actual roots of that desire is pride, your own pride. It drives people apart. It's the one thing that you see in other people and detest. But it's also the very thing that we're blind to in our own eyes, lives. Ooh, that's tricky. That's a little deceitfulness. We can kind of carry ourselves thinking that we're humble, yet everyone around can see, wow, you're inflated. 
It sets us in direct opposition to God. God's word is clear on this. James 4 says this, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw close to God, and God will draw close to you. It's an amazing relationship. God's giving you some hints as to like what uh, draws his heart towards you and what doesn't. And it's pride. Pride will shut God out. Pride in our hearts is allowed to flourish when it's unmet by the fear of the Lord. So James, Jesus' own brother, one of the greatest testimonies to the deity and messiahship of Jesus, that James, Jesus' own brother, would give his life because he knew Jesus was truly the Son of God. James says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God because he gives you grace. It's in that place where you're humble that God actually gives you grace. Now, in our culture, we may hear the word grace over and over, and we may have lost our kind of uh, sharpness with the amazingness of God's grace. God's grace is God's supernatural, divine, enabling power meeting your life. Who doesn't want that? God's supernatural, enabling power meeting your life. That's what God's grace is. God's grace is greater than the strength of your own depravity. It's greater than the power of the spirit of darkness, from whom all temptations to sin and rebel, all forms of worldliness emerge. God supplies His grace. And 1 Peter, Peter, the other, another disciple, definitely picks this up, that when the Holy Spirit comes, because of the blood of Jesus, he gets this picture that, oh my gosh, the New Testament, this unconditional new covenant that God just created, is creating a kingdom, not just of servants, but of priests. Priests, priests that get the privilege of going right into God's sacred space to meet with Him, to hear from Him, to receive from counsel. And this verse in 1 Peter is trying to capture the New, New Testament believer. They're from very familiar with priests. Yeah, we go to priests, so they go to the Lord for us. Because we don't want to go to the Lord ourselves. So we go to a priest who goes to the Lord for us. When Jesus came, he's like, man, I'm turning that thing on its head. All who know me, I will consecrate by the blood of my own son Jesus to, make a, to be a priest, to be an official delegated representative of this, new, of this new kingdom, of the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 2, it says, They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, and God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of this darkness and into His wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. And you are now a holy people. To the Jews, they, they were very familiar with how a priest got consecrated. A con- he was consecrated by washing and the sacrifice of a lamb. In the Old Testament, the high priest would get consecrated. 
consecrated so that the priest may enter the realm of the sacred. He was consecrated, the priest, so that he could properly enter the realm of the sacred being a sinner, a fallen, broken human being. The blood of Christ is what now consecrates you and I to make you and I able and fit to enter into the presence of God. And out of that, out of that cultivating an atmosphere of having an awe and holiness of God, of being His priest, there's some fruits to a life who live with the fear of the Lord. There's some delineated fruits, very obvious fruits in a person's life who have the fear of the Lord and who see their role as like, man, I am under authority. God has made me a priest. I'm under the authority of the high priest. But what are some of the fruits of the fear of the Lord? Number one, the fear of the Lord helps keep your conscience clean. The fear of the Lord helps keep your conscience clean. The Scriptures talk about our conscience meant 30 times in the New Testament. 1 Timothy 1.19, one of them says this, Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences, and as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Man, a shipwreck. That's like total destruction. You can't patch that up mid-journey on a shipwreck. It's over. That journey's over. Keeping your conscience clean. People who don't have a clean conscience that are followers of Jesus, it's as if they've lost sight of the fear of the Lord. We sear our consciences all the time, doing things that we do and think and allow in our lives, blowing past the checks in our heart. You ever blow past a check in your heart? Ha <laughs> ha! It's church, but we can be real, amen? The checks in our own hearts, anger, addiction, control, comfort, success, many times driven by our own pride. Every time it creates another layer of callous over our hearts, every time we blow past that heart check, our conscience is like, hey, hey, probably should hold back from that. Hey, hey. And our reply is like, hey, it's just one time. It's not a big deal. Hey, it, it, it's, you know, it's not, a, it's not a habit. And our mind starts giving in. It's fear of the Lord. It keeps us anchored. It keeps your conscience anchored in truth. The miracle of becoming a brand, being brand new in Christ is that He gives you and I a clean conscience, a trustworthy conscience. And the challenge is to keep it pure. It seems at every stage of life that the enemy offers almost a brand new kind of way to kind of captivate you. And it always comes with bright lights and promise and hope and the, the feeling of freedom. But the more we blow past our conscience checks and we pursue that, what we thought was liberating us is actually keeping us in bondage. It's actually deepening our slavery to our own pride and our own sin. And those who lack the fear of the Lord risk shipwrecking their faith. And we see it everywhere. We see it everywhere. The rich young ruler wanted to follow Jesus, but was unwilling to consecrate his whole life 
He comes to Jesus. Jesus, I followed all the law. Jesus, seeing the idol in his heart, says, all right, give up all that you own and come follow me. That's too hard. At every stage, like I said, the enemy has well-worn and very successful traps to shipwreck your faith. Alternatives to healthy kingdom living. Excuses for why not to go all in for God. Reasons why you're an exception to God's holy standard. The enemy relentlessly desires to mar and violate your conscience day and night. And if we give ourselves to the Lord, if we reserve some liberties... We offer him our house, but we hold back some keys. We give him access to the whole house, but yet we mark some rooms as private. And that word private, denying the Lord's admission, creates no joy in the house so long as there's keys kept back from the Lord of the house. Dr. F.B. Meyer, an English pastor and lifelong friend of D.L. Moody, shared about his early Christian life, which was marred and his ministry paralyzed just because he kept back one key from the bunch of keys he had given to the Lord. Every key save one. The key of one room kept for personal use and the Lord was shut out. The effects of the Incomplete consecration were found in his lack of power, in his lack of assurance, in his lack of joy and peace. The joy of the Lord begins when we hand over all those keys to the Lord, every one of them, every secret room, every room that you've kept even from the most personal person in your life. You hand them all over to him so that you can be consecrated, so that every room is washed in the blood of Christ. The fear of the Lord helps us surrender all our keys to Him. We will recognize who He is. And He gets on the scene and we realize, I can't play games with that holy God. Because without His presence, we can kind of in our own head make up games that we're kind of gaming the system. You ever like, you know, it's kind of like finding a coupon that just like they'll keep Using that coupon, it's not just one-time use, and you can kind of like, hey, I gamed the system. Man, there's just something, there's something appealing to that, isn't it? Kind of like, oh, man, I'm getting, I'm getting this paycheck, but, man, they didn't know I, they didn't turn off this one thing. And so, hey, I'm getting a little more every month, but, hey, it's a big company. Nobody knows. Anyway, surrender all those keys to him. <laughs> Don't shipwreck your faith. The fruit of the fear of the Lord is that we pay attention to keeping our conscience clean. Number two, fear of the Lord fosters a true friendship with God. How many believers today only know God by answered prayers? Their relationship with Him is more transactional and not intimate. They know His words, but not His heart. That's not us, right? Amen? Here's a question. Did Jesus open up a relationship of friendship to all who believe in Him? Okay, here's a question. Did Jesus open up friendship to all who gave their allegiance to him? Well, let me answer that by saying this. John 2, 23 and 24, it says, Because the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew what people are really like. Oh, 
man, he knows what we're like. Bad news. No, that's actually great news. That's actually great news. But he knows the human heart. He knows that sometimes our words and our vows and the things that we say, ah, we're going to do, we're going to do, we end up never doing. He knows their heart. He knows our hearts. To trust is to believe to the extent of completely trusting and relying upon, to have confidence in, to have faith in. And interestingly, this trust is not reciprocated by Jesus. Even though people believed to the extent of complete trust in and reliance on Him, He didn't trust them. He for sure loved them. He for sure served them. But Jesus did not hold them to the level of friendship. And after three years of ministry together, we find Jesus and His disciples at the Last Supper. And over these years, many who said they believed were not dependable. Many who followed Him from a distance or secretly or only when it was the most convenient for them are now gone. Many other disciples left Him, and Judas betrays Him. And there at the Last Supper, Jesus is sitting with those closest to Him. In Luke 22, it says, For the, uh, You are those, Jesus is speaking here to His disciples, You are those who have stayed with Me in My trials. You are those who have stayed with me. In other words, they had become reliable. They had grown to be trustworthy. Sometimes we think, oh, God just kind of finds a trustworthy heart and kind of goes with it. No. He grabs a lot of untrustworthy hearts. (laughs) But He grows and develops to change your heart to be a trustworthy, reliable one. And as Judas had left to carry out his betrayal, Jesus says this to the 11 remaining. In John 15, it says, no longer do I call you servants. No longer do I call you servants, Jesus said to them, but I call you friends. In fact, that's what Jesus said. No longer means that these men were at one time regarded as servants. Why does God keep us at the level of a servant when we're an heir of his kingdom? The answer is to protect you and I to protect us, because there's a higher standard that He calls that person's life into when you've been brought into a friendship with Him. The Lord Lord says to us, until you are very established in who I am in your life and very established in who you are with me, i.e. the fear of the Lord, I need to keep you at a servant level, even though you are an heir, a son or daughter of my kingdom, this is to protect you. But Jesus is saying this to His disciples, up till now, I have not given you the inside scoop, my plans, my secret counsel, my intimate areas of my heart. But now, like the Father did like with Abraham and Moses, Jesus tells His disciples that He now trusts them. God says, I can entrust my heart to you. So here's a question. Is your heart able to be entrusted to the Lord? and His heart entrusted to you. Do you have a reliable, trustworthy walk with the Lord? That's what delineates servants with friends of God. Just that verse before, Jesus said in John 15, 14, says, if you are my friends, if, you are my friends, if you obey what I say, if you do what I ask you to do. It's conditioned. It's not automatic. Even if we believe in Him, 
You and I are friends if you do whatever I command you, Jesus said. There's a condition, the fear of the Lord, trembling at His word, obeying His commands instantly and to completion, even if it doesn't make sense, even if you don't see the benefit, even if it's costly. Abraham and Moses were welcomed into a relationship of friendship with God Almighty due to their awe of God and their obedience to Him. And it's no different for you and I. When the Lord's heart and will are our number one priority, He can trust us and will we'll come to us into a relationship of friendship that He initiates and He invites you in. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this, one of my favorites. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Man, if you say, God, I'm all in. I'm not holding back any keys. I want this friendship. I don't want to be a servant of you. I want to be a friend of you. The Lord says, man, His eyes search the whole earth and to see hearts that are fully committed to Him. It's like sending a big old flare up into the spiritual realm to say, man, I'm God's and I need His help and I'm calling for His assistance because I fear Him. I know that I can't do this. What He's called you to do, you can't do it alone. You need His assistance every day. And then lastly, the fear of the Lord ensures finishing well. Finishing well. The fear of the Lord ensures you and I finishing well. And recently, man, just almost every week, man, my heart, it's like grieves deeply when we see numerous of God's leaders in the church who have fallen, extramarital affairs, either emotional or sexual, substance abuse, addiction, greed, control and manipulation, which is witchcraft and other sorts of inappropriate behaviors, if not all of them, started with great passion and zeal to glorify God. But as time passed, the fear of the Lord decreased. Their pride increased. And it rears its diabolical head. These are all pride problems. If you want to know, it's now... If you really want to get down to it, it's not an attack from the enemy. It's your own dang pride. And they stop diligently seeking God with humility and holy fear. And many great women and men have not finished well, yet all of them believe that they could escape the inevitable consequences of a loss of humility and holy fear. Don't be fooled. As Paul said to Timothy, cling tightly to him. Don't ever let him go. Be utterly dependent on Jesus and make holy fear a treasure of immeasurable value in your walk with him. And God desires that you finish well. Imagine, pause, and just, just think your life finishing well. Finishing well. What aspects are there that wouldn't be if you don't finish well? God desires you to finish well. He doesn't want you to be a casualty in this spiritual war. He wants you all the way. A life lived in, with full faithfulness in God. What does that look like? Full faithfulness to God. What about you doing the works He created in advance for you to walk in, and at the end you can look back on your life to say, Man, I walked in those. Now, admittedly, maybe not everyone, 
But I walked in the works that he had prepared in advance for you to walk in. There is nothing worth trading that for anything else in the world. Nothing. Paul captures the spirit so well. Philippians 3, he says, I'm focusing all my energies on this one thing. Forgetting what lies behind, I look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up from heaven. What a vision Paul had. Man, I'm going to leave it all on the field. Leaving it all on the field. Man, that was one thing my uh, high school football coach hated, is that if you had energy in the locker room after the game, if you were horsing around, he'd come and he'd kind of, bla- I mean, he'd blast the whole team, especially if we lost. You know, if we won, it was maybe a little bit more grace, but man, if we lost and we were exhibiting a lot of energy in the locker room afterwards, he'd come at and he's like, you didn't leave everything on the field. You should come back completely drained and tired, but you left something on the field. And he'd get upset. Now, the guy was horse's ass most of the time, but some of the things that he said was just like, man, that's profound, right? God doesn't want you leaving anything on the field. God wants you to fully expend your life for Him and His glory and then go be with Him for eternity. What a promise. What an amazing life. So may, in my, in my heart, just to kind of land this, may we be a place in our lives, in our homes, in the spiritual family where we fear Him, where we revere Him, where we're in awe of Him. A people who are in awe of Him who made us. It's in this worshipful, worshipful and wonderful environment where God's presence is manifested. And imagine what God would do, will do with us. So, um, like I said, this, this series was a little bit pulled out of a book by John Bevere called Awe of God. And uh, in the back of that book, there was a quote that he had from A.W. Tozer that I thought was a perfect ending prayer for this series. Um, And I think God really kind of captured our hearts, kind of, I feel. I feel like God did an an amazing spiritual surgery in us over the last couple couple weeks. Um, But Tozer Tozer kind of uh, prayed a prayer, and I'll I'll read it for us all together, but then I'd like us to maybe pray this together in a spirit of just a spiritual family together, that we could pray this, that this would maybe be our heart's cry in this next season. Uh, that, that, yeah, and here's his prayer. O oh God, send a revival of repentance and the fear of the Lord that will sweep through the continent, that we may be spared and that we may honor Thee. Such a great cry, this prayer. God, let it be, let there be a revival not just of supernatural power, though that would be amazing, but let it be a revival of repentance and the fear of the Lord. And if you, if you really want my thoughts, is that I think any future revival has to be founded on this and nothing else. That we come to Him because He's holy, not because He can give us power. That's human thinking. 
but we come to him because of who he is and who we are. So let's pray together. I'm going to just pray this prayer with us, for us, just be in agreement. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Lord, we just thank you, God, for being God. We thank you for your holiness and your righteousness. God, we thank you for your unconditional love and your faithfulness. God, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for your consistently and never changing. God, that you are always the same today, yesterday, and forever. Lord God, I just pray, Lord, that we would have a heart to cry out just like Tozer did. Oh God, send a revival of repentance and the fear of the Lord that will sweep through this continent, that we may be spared and that we may honor Thee. Holy Spirit, we pray just for a revival of that nature to sweep across this nation, sweep across Your church. Lord, let it come to Your church. God, You judge Your church first before You do the nation. And God, we, Lord, I pray that You would bless the church before You bless the nation. Lord, we ask for You to do a mighty work in this next year. God, there's a lot of free-floating anxiety around, Lord, and, and anxiety, I believe, uh, it comes because of an overinflated thought of the fear of the future and feeling at the same time underprepared personally. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would meet that difference. Lord, I pray that you would meet this cultural anxiety with the presence of your Spirit in our lives, in the lives of your people. Let us be your priest, your consecrated priest in this hour. Lord, this hour is not a time to slink back and to be quiet. It's time for the sons of God, the daughters of God, to be revealed to the world. Because, Lord, it's in their revelation, the revealing of the world, that you bring blessing, that you bring your kingdom, that you bring your will on planet Earth. And, Father, I pray that we would be people that would not slink back. Lord, that we would not be bound by the fear of man or not be bound by our own pride. But, God, bring us into the, your light. Lord, your unadulterated holy light, and that we could live there. We could have our abode with you there. Lord, seeing you as you really are, that we wouldn't be caught playing our own mental games, uh, uh, inflating our own lives in, in hopes that other people would have a greater opinion. Father, we're done with that game. Lord, that's how the world works. Father, we fully put ourselves and our lives into your hands. And God, we pray that you would take us, take this spiritual family by your hand, lead us, guide us. We thank you for being our great captain, our great high priest, and our marvelous God. Lord, thank you for the deposit that you've put it in our hearts these last three weeks. Father, we pray, the Lord, for your strength and your grace and your mercy over our life, that we could be your ambassadors, we can be your representatives. Father, I pray that, Lord, even in this season, in this Christmas season, Lord, we wouldn't be bowing to the spirit of materialism and consumerism, but, God, we'd be filled with your spirit, Lord, to bring life and joy and abundance and flourishing on planet Earth. Lord, let it begin in our own heart, in our own homes. Father, thank you, God, for taking us by the hand and leading us as your children. Thank you for fathering us, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. 
For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org. And we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.